It's good to see all of you again, whether you are visiting with us for the very first time, first time in a long time, or whether or not this is your regular place of gathering, we are happy to have you worshiping with us this morning. And uh, just in case you forgot or you did not know it at all, we are in a series entitled The Songs of Salvation. And so we are taking a look at four different songs of spontaneous worship where people said exactly what we just said, that is, Lord, you're worthy of it all. Some aspect of celebrating God and who he is for what he has done uh, happened in the book of Luke. And if you want to catch up on these four songs, these spontaneous moments of worship in Scripture, you can find them between the chapters of Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. You can find all four of them. And so we are in the fourth of those songs today. And as Pastor Ryan already shared with the little ones while you were here watching, we're going to look at the life of Simeon and this unique moment uh, where he said something that is placed on his heart, borrowed by the Lord, a prophecy in particular about the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but before we get there, let's pray and then we will do our reading together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you. You are worthy of it all. We transition from worshiping you through song to now worshiping you through a careful analysis of your word. We just want to pinch off a small portion of the bread of life, Lord God, and savor it and have you to help our hearts to understand you more clearly. Would you give us today exactly what we need? You know, Lord God, where each one of our hearts are. Some of us need doctrine because we do not know you well, or we are in a season of ignorance and darkness. We need to see you more clearly. We need to learn you. Some of us, Lord God, need reproof. We are waist high or even up to our eyeballs in sin, and we need the precision of your word to speak into it, to call us out of where we are into a place of repentance. Some of us, Lord God, need correction. We had run well, but now we are starting to deviate in a direction that is not consistent with your will for your child's life, and we need those guardrails from your Holy Spirit to help us get back on track. Lord God, some of us need a word from you. We need wisdom. We are in a particular season of life where we don't know what to do with the situation that we are in, and so we need instruction in righteousness. Lord God, would you be that supply today through your word? Lord God, some of us are here because we recognize that to be a part of a local church or to attend church is obedient. It is an act for us of compliance. It is an act of tradition. It is an act of follow through, Lord God, on what we believe to be the good rules and the best practices of the faith. But we still don't see ourselves as a part of the body yet and have not found what we ought to be serving. We don't know how, why this work is work that we need to be a part of. Lord God, would you speak to that person's heart today through your word that they would be thoroughly furnished for every good work that you've assigned to their life and for which you have saved them. Lord God, there's somebody in the room today that the words that I just spoke is complete and utter Greek to them. Their deepest need is for salvation. They do not know you at all. They're here because someone invited them. They're here because that's just kind of what you do. They're here, Lord God, because of a divine appointment that you providentially set up, that they would be in these seats and they would hear your gospel clearly preached. Lord God, would you soften that heart? Would you open those eyes? Would you draw that person forward to hear you like they've never heard you before and to see you like they've never seen you before? This we pray in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me in them to the book of Luke as we discussed earlier. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, specifically Luke chapter 2, verses, let's see, what are we going to use here? Verses 22 through 35. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. Let's read these together. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring glory, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother Mary uh, uh, heard, they marveled at those words and the things that were spoken over him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary and his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against and, or be opposed in some of your Bibles, it'll say, and yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The title of today's message is Package Tracking. Package Tracking. Um, waiting is an undeniable part of the human experience. And we've worked very diligently to resolve the idea of waiting. Because not all waiting is the same, but all waiting has a, a similar weight on our lives. We don't like it for any reason. Even if we're waiting for positive reasons, we just don't like waiting. Uh, one of our first forays, at least in my uh, modern mind, is the creation of the microwave. We got tired of waiting on meals to be prepared. How can we speed that up? We begin having uh, instant coffee makers uh, so we don't have to wait for our favorite breakfast beverage. We have done all kinds of things to minimize waiting. Uh, expedited shipping, as a matter of fact, which is one we'll talk about today, is one of the great inventions that we have. It's like, how do we get stuff to people faster so they don't have to wait as much? Like, we are preoccupied by trying to minimize waiting in our lives because we hate waiting, even when we know that waiting is good for us. Because there's certain things in life that cannot be rushed and be done very well. If any of you follow me on social media, my Instagram account in particular, this is not an advertisement that you should, 
but you probably saw a little post or a story that I put up about uh, a situation we had at our household in, during Christmas. And that is that I had purchased for Christmas my wife a pair of Birkenstocks. I ordered them on December the 19th, and I am still waiting for them. Well, knowing that they were not going to arrive by Christmas Day, I got with my daughter and I said, we have an emergency on our hands. I need you right now to go upstairs and create some Birkenstocks. So my daughter went together, got some arts and crafts, and stayed up until about 3 o'clock in the morning, cutting and clipping various pieces of paper and cardboard and fashioned what we affectionately call smirking stocks. And it was supposed to be a, an emotional placeholder, something that she could grab hold of and put it under the tree, and it would be fun for her. And we could also explain, well, the reason that the rims are not here because of the shipping, but ha-ha, Merry Christmas. There you go. You know what you're going to get. But here we are, still waiting on the real deal. I believe that this idea of kind of creating a facsimile or a placeholder is something that many of us will do in life when we get tired of waiting. We will grab hold of something that we have fashioned from our own devices to hold us over emotionally. And if we are not careful, we will become a people who fall more in love with substitutes than the real substance of what God wants to deliver into our lives because we are tired of waiting. Package tracking. You know what it is. You know how it happens. You order something. Even now, as I sit here, when I get done with my message today, I'm going to look at my phone and see if I have an update from FedEx. I'm going to go into the app, and I'm going to see if the label has been created. And if the label has been created, do we have a tracking number? And if we have a tracking number, where is it? Is it at the facility nearest Birkenstock? Is it at the facility nearest me? Because this is what we do when we're anticipating something. We are regularly watching its progress. And I believe that Simeon, in a very righteous way, has been anticipating and watching and tracking what God is doing. Therefore, his heart was ready to receive with great jubilation the salvation that he saw in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to help us today to become a people who don't just wait in life and have our waiting marred by anxiety but I want us to upgrade the way that we wake through a deep understanding of the gospel in life so that we don't ever lose our sense of anticipation for God's move in our lives. I want to help us so that we can love the Lord, love his work, love the gospel, see the gospel, understand his word in a way that we don't ever lose our sense of anticipation for God's move in our life. And there's three ways that I want to help us to do that drawn from today's text. The first one is I want you to help you to be obedient. That's number one. If you, you don't want to lose your anticipation for God's moving your life, you're going to be obedient. Well, and I'm going to explain be obedient to what in just a moment. The second thing you want to do is you want to be objective. You want to be ob obedient and you want to be objective. And the third thing I need you to be, or I hope you will become, is that you'll become open. You'll become open. Three ways in which we all want to pursue never losing our deep anticipation for God's move in our life. When we look at verses 22 through 24, where do we get this idea that we want to be obedient to what God, obedient to what? Number one, I want us to become obedient. Listen to these words. Listen to these words. Now, now when I was reading, I tried with my inflection to invite you to detect certain clues in the passage. I'm going to do it again and see if you can grab them. 
And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, they brought him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord, which is written in the law of the Lord, that every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. You see that? Interestingly enough, as we were reading that text, you'll see that Joseph and Mary were good, mosaic, law-abiding Jewish citizens. And each one of their moves in the way that Luke geniusly describes them have been shaped and guided by their adherence faithfully to the law, which is what God has currently revealed to them as a means of following his will. But interestingly enough, the scriptures transition and then talk about how Simeon then is following the spirit. It's a man who was guided by the spirit, a man who had been revealed to certain things by the spirit and went into the temple because of the urging or the moving of the spirit. And this is so interesting because I believe what you have in Christ is exactly this collision or this beautiful intersection of how the law gives way into the intersection or the leading of the spirit. I believe that this is, this is a part of God's design to show us this, that the law is supposed to be our guide into the spiritual things of God. It tells us this, quite frankly, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 and following for those who were wondering if the law of God really had any purpose. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until com the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. What the Apostle Paul is drawing from here with this guardian idea is that young Jewish children at various phases in their lives were assigned varying degrees of guardianship before they became adults. But in this particular situation, it's a guardian that says this is one that like a guard, so to speak, because the previous analogy is that we, we, we were imprisoned or held captive. And so what a guard does is it helps the person who is kept to stay where they're supposed to be so they don't do harm to themselves and they don't escape. The law of God, while on some regards seem restrictive, but it is actually designed to guide our hearts. It gives us a sense of governance of what we're supposed to be doing. Notice how the, the Mosaic law guided Mary and Joseph to have an encounter the way that they were supposed to have encountered it. You and I may be people who want to dismiss the mundane morality of the faith. Yeah, whatever, read the Bible. Yeah, whatever, go to church. Yeah, whatever, pray prayers. Yeah, whatever, do all those things. We may believe that these mundane religious rules only tether us and stifle our personal freedom. But the reality is there are certain principles that God has put in our lives to serve as a guide to bring us into the greater things that he wants to expose us to. The law is our guide, the law is our guardian, but the law is also a place of growth. Understand that the young Jewish children who would have been kept under a guardian weren't just being dragged about by their hands, they were growing up under that guardianship as well. The law of God is intended to protect us and to bring us along. You need to understand as a modern day believer, and always this, that obedience is dynamic and not static. Obedience is dynamic and not static. It is not just a stale and static keeping of rules and religious regulations, but obedience is dynamic. When I obey God, it opens up other options in my life that I did not have. 
When I obey God, it moves me along on the trajectory of what God is doing in my life. Notice that when Joseph and Mary obeyed God according to the law, it brought them closer to the temple. When you obey God, even when it doesn't seem like it's doing anything, it is moving your life along a righteous trajectory that brings you into exposure of other things that God wants you to see and do. But when you're disobedient, your life is in a perpetual detour. You are on 285 with no sense of when you need to get off. And you're tired of waiting. You see, traffic is another form of waiting, right? There is a completely different style of waiting that's happening when I'm sitting in traffic and when I'm waiting on a baby to be born. One of those waitings worries me to death, and I'm so disoriented, and I can't wait to get out of this experience. But the other kind of waiting is beautiful, it is growthful, it is enriching, it is maturing, it gives me opportunity to get my affairs in order. Yes, Lord, thank you for that waiting. One waiting is marked by anxiety, and one is marked by great anticipation. And so, obedience is dynamic, it is not static. Obedience is directing me into God's will, but disobedience detours me and is disorienting to me. And so I would just beg and ask you, as you are waiting for God, do not undervalue the basic underpinnings of just living a righteous life and following God's word. We live in a culture that is in pursuit of just some deep esoteric revelation. We hate waiting. Therefore, we're willing to uh, buy crystals. We're willing to uh, go see a, uh, to read a horoscope. We're, we want someone to open up our future for us because we're tired of waiting for God to reveal it on his terms. We, we open all kinds of nonsense up in our lives because we just want to peep into the future. Say, God, I don't like the way you're handling my current waiting. But when our hearts are given over to the Lord, our waiting does not bring about anxiety. It brings about great anticipation for his work. Obedience to the word is more about directing you toward God's will than trying to tie you to rules. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The number one prayer that every person always brings up when they come down to an altar or go see a member of the prayer team, I just want to know God's will for my life. And God's like, it's not some esoteric reveal. It is the natural result of people who will just devote themselves sacrificially to just living God's way. And when you come out of the tunnel, you're at God's will. Obedience will get you there. There's a second principle here in verses 25 through 32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was devout and just and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he, it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. So like, here it is. So the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Spirit uh, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then the scriptures go on in, into verse 32, which we've already read, with some very specific connotations that he unpacks that will be a part of this. I am now let you are now letting your servant depart in peace. I've seen your work, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the face of all people to bring light to the Gentiles and to bring glory for your people Israel. Light to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The first thing I need to do is I want to be obedient to what God has already revealed. Just the basic bread and butter 
principles of the scripture if I want to be a person of anticipation rather than anxiety in my waiting. The second thing I want to be is I want to be objective about what God is doing ultimately. I want to be objective about what God is doing ultimately. Why do I say this? In the scriptures, Mary and Joseph have simply brought a child, which is their personal responsibility before the word of God. Simeon takes the child and then says, let me tell you what God is doing here ultimately. Yes, he is doing something in your life personally. This is your baby. This is your child. It will be a blessing to you. But God is not just working personally. He is working very ultimately. In my life, I don't know, in your life, I don't know what you are waiting on God to do, but I must inform you that God isn't just trying to work something out for you personally. He is doing something very ultimately in your life. And I need you to be objective about God's will in that way, or else you will always live a life of worrisome, anxious waiting rather than glorious anticipation of his will. What was it that allowed Simeon to do this? He was familiar with the words of Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant and raise up the tribe of Jacob to bring back uh, uh, the preserve of Israel? And I will make you as a light to the nations and bring salvation that may reach to the ends of the earth. Or even what is read here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In other words, God has always been playing the long game ever since the words of the prophets, ever since the work through Abraham, ever since the book of Genesis, God has always been playing the long game. Simeon was familiar with the long game. He knew that God was working ultimately and not just personally. The two are not at odds with each other, but one finds itself inside the other. And when you are narrowly focused on the, de the desired outcome that you want, you are participating in what I call sanctified idolatry. How can idolatry be sanctified? It is an oxymoron on purpose. Sanctified idolatry is this. It is a person that is committed to a personal, particular outcome that they are begging God to do and clutching to it so tightly that they don't recognize that that outcome has become an idol. But because they're praying about it, it feels sanctified and holy. I'm not asking you to lose your grip on, on prayer. I'm not asking you to stop petitioning and to earnestly ask God to do things in your life. But I am begging you to be cautious not to participate in sanctified idolatry and be objective about what you're asking God because he may be trying to do something that is so much bigger than you that he's got to prepare you for what it is you're praying about because you ain't ready. The world also had this problem. You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and following tells us this about Jesus Christ when he would be declared to even to the world. But we preach Christ, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both of Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now follow that carefully. Simeon says Jesus is supposed to be the glory of Israel and light to the Gentiles. But when he is preached to ears and eyes that are participating in sanctified idolatry, we want God to work this way. We believe God should come this way. Jesus appears to be foolishness and a stumbling block rather than glory and light. 
I believe the same to be true in each of our lives. God's blessing for us could be readily apparent in our faces and it be a stumbling block. We trip all over it or believe that it's nonsense because that isn't how we expect God to show up or how we desire or demand that he show up. Let us not participate in sanctified idolatry. Let us be open-handed with what God is doing before us so that we, like Simeon, can appreciate the full beauty of what God is doing. You see, my evaluation of God's work will only arise as high as my adoration of his person. When God is doing something in my life, I can't see the beauty of it unless I am in the business of adoring his person. When worship becomes my preoccupation, when I love the Lord with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I adore him, his work will only be valued in my eyes as beautiful and precious then and only then. Where am I going? How many of you on your refrigerators or at some space in your house um, have child art? Right, the three-legged dog, the purple turkey, right? The, 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 the Easter egg that is not colored inside of any of his lines. How many of you, if you not have it on your refrigerator, you did some of these, art, these works of art? How many of you know that your parents somewhere have shoe boxes and cedar chesses filled with that stuff? These hideous pieces of art that they cherish because of the person who made it. They adore their children, therefore their work never looks like chicken scratch. It is a cherishable item. Therefore, when my heart adores God and I see his work, it looks like chicken scratch to everybody else. But to me, it looks like, oh God, I see you working. Thank you for that. I'm going to put that on the refrigerator of my life and never forget it. I'm going to store that in a place so I can regularly reflect on it because I love you. So how do we not lose our anticipation for God's move in our life? Be obedient to what God has already revealed. Be faithful and obedient to the little things he's already revealed. He's revealed his word. Follow it. Stop looking for something special, fancy, and esoteric. Be objective with what God is doing. Understand that, yes, he wants to bless you personally, but he is doing something much bigger than you ultimately. And be open to that. Be objective about it. Verses 33 through 35. This is the, this is the I, I like this one. I, I like them all, as you can tell. But let's look. Verses 33 through 35 reads this way. And Joseph and his mother marveled at the things that were spoken of him. Right? That he's going to be uh, the glory of Israel and a, re a light of revelation to the Gentiles, right? They marveled. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, the child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through even your own soul and the thoughts and hearts of many will be revealed. I need to be open to how God wants to challenge or change me in my waiting. As I am anticipating God's will, I need to be open to how God wants to challenge or change me. When I look at the lives of Mary and Joseph, they aren't just parents, they are partners in God's plan. 
I want you to understand that you, you and I, whatever God is doing in our life, uh, you, you are a partner in God's plan. God is calling us along to participate beautifully. He is doing a work in the world and he's doing a work in our world. He's doing a work in us individually. And we cannot become so myopic in our present focus that we only want the individual work, but don't understand the larger work that God is doing in the world. We are partners in God's plan. Joseph and Mary are not just parents, they're partners. But the Bible says something else about the baby. He says that there is going to actually be a piercing of their souls. They're not just partners in what God is doing. Listen to this. Joseph and Mary are not just couriers who are bringing a, a, a baby into the world, but they're also customers. Right? The Lord isn't just using them to drop off packages. The child that they're bringing to the temple is also going to have a dynamic impact in their own lives. Their souls will be pierced. Are you open to be challenged and changed by what God wants to do in you? Listen, everybody's got something that God has given them and that he wants to grow in you and use in you that are way, that in ways that are well beyond you. The room is filled with Joseph's and Mary's. I'm not talking about conceiving a child, perhaps that is your thing, but, but, but I'm talking about every single one of us has something that God wants to grow in you that is going to change you, that is going to challenge you, and that is going to be much bigger than you and anything that you could ever wildly imagine. He wants to use you in that crazy way. And I think herein is a little glimpse of the gospel. Last night, I had, um, I had dinner with a young couple, and during that dinner, I shared for them my unabashed despisal for musicals. Um, I just hate them. <laughs> hate them. I, I, I don't understand why anybody would just be getting along, just doing a great piece of acting, and then just start singing in the middle of it. Like, well, what are we doing? Um, but I, um, I had this one encounter where I was just, I was just waiting for this thing to be over, and I was just praying through the musical, and I just, I needed to sit there because my wife loved it, and I'm like, I'm just going to do this for you. This is part of my Ephesians 5, you know, thing for you. All right, love your wife as Christ of the church. That's what I'm talking about. If you read your Bible, that's funny. Um, <laughs> and so I'm sitting there, and the Lord kind of upgraded my waiting and gave me a sense of anticipation because I'm sitting there watching this musical, and suddenly, I'm looking up in the ceiling, I got this, this person who's waving some kind of sticks and another person releasing some smoke, and I see other people with their various costumes get ready to come down on the stage and do all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, I just realized, in a musical, one of the beauties of it, whether I like it or not, the beauty of it is that everything matters. The song choice, the tempo, the timing, the lighting, the, 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 the costumes, the way, the, 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 the stuff on the stage, like every single thing matters during a musical. And so when I saw this, I got fascinated because I saw an analogy of the gospel where it is that no matter where I find myself in life, everything matters under the canopy of the gospel, whether it be the lighting, the timing, the gestures, the people that are in and near my lives. And, and, and so when, when, when I see that, 
even though I don't like musicals, now I'm filled with anticipation because I want to see how is this thing going to come to a crescendo? How is it all going to end? How is the mastermind behind this great work going to put a bow on this and bring it to a conclusion that we can all applaud? And that is exactly what God does in the gospel. It is simultaneously this great demonstration of his genius of how he can bring all things to bear into this grand crescendo of glory and light where people who don't even like the gospel say, man, I can't resist it. I need to go see it. I need to see this Jesus who's at center stage. I need to understand more. Who wrote this? Did he do anything else that I can read, that I can go and watch? This is what the gospel is. It is this grand production of God, of glory and light. It is both beautiful and it is a beacon to all who would come and look at it. And you just can't take your eyes away, even if you got invited by somebody else and you didn't want to be there at all. So what's so beautiful about the gospel? The beauty is, is that you begin to see that every single second of my life, the Lord has been reeling me in with every breath, with every moment, with every heartbreak, with every disappointment, with every letdown, with every car accident, with every demotion, with every death, with every life, with everything. God has been using it all, with every relocation to a new city, with every mild curiosity, just come into a church and see what it's all about. Every single thing, you see that God, the grand engineer, has been working a work to draw you close so that he could show you something about himself that was undeniably him. And what does he want to show? He wants to show that, that, that you've been waiting, but the Lord himself has been anticipating He's been anticipating the moment that your eyes would be open to the beauty of his son, Jesus Christ. He is, the Lord has, is, is, is making an appeal that you would see his son for who he fully is. This isn't just a baby featured in a nativity scene. It isn't just some blonde-haired and blue-eyed person in your children's coloring book that you can't figure out how they came up with that color scheme. I don't know what kinds of views you've had of Jesus that may have served as a stumbling block for you, but the view of Jesus is not the one from your Sunday school coloring books that you need to see. The view of Jesus that God is inviting us to is the one of him on the cross. Why is he doing that? Why does that movement matter in history? Well, the gospel helps us to understand why it matters. It should have been me. I'm supposed to be dying for my own sins, but God is sending his son to die in my place. Why is he being raised? Because he's being raised from the dead to demonstrate a final two-footed chokehold defeat on death, sin, and the devil, and everything that seems to rob people of their best life and their peace. And saying, you can have some of what I have to offer in the resurrection if you would place faith in my son. That's why the death, burial, and resurrection matters. Because it's a beacon to you. It's an invite. It's not just some historical stunt to try to make Jesus popular. The Lord says, this thing is for you. And so I don't know where you stand this morning in terms of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of its features and functions have been a stumbling block to you. I don't know if you're actively one of these people trying to, uh, what do you call it, decompress or what do you call it, deconstruct their faith. I don't know where you are, but, but here it is. Do all the deconstruction you want to, but you've got to deal with the cross. What are you going to do about your sin? Somebody has to pay for that. Would you like for it to be you? You don't have enough life left. You're not a cat. You don't have nine lives. You don't even have two. 
And so once you use your life to pay for your sin, you have no other life to live. But Christ says, give that life to me and I'll pay for your sin. And so the multiple moments, the near-death experiences, all the times where you just say, I'm done with religion, but now I'm coming back. Why did it all matter? Because of this grand crescendo in which, which Christ was inviting you to see him more clearly for the first time, again and again and again, because God doesn't give up. And so I don't know what levels of anticipation there are in the room today, but I want to make three basic appeals. If you're a person who has been asking God what you ought to, Lord, if you're real, show yourself to me. Maybe this is your moment. I want to ask my prayer team if you would go take your places. You know where they are. Prayer team, if you would take your places. Man, are you that person who has been saying, God, I'm open to the conversation, but I'm just not seeing any compelling evidence. Show yourself to me. God wants to reveal himself within the context of relationship, not in the laboratory of your intellect. Are you interested in having a conversation with him? Our prayer team is in place to have a conversation with you if that's the kind of prayer you've been praying. Man, if you're a person who already knows Jesus, but your faith has been mangled and dismantled by endless and fruitless waiting, marred by anxiety, you say, Lord, I desire to have my waiting upgraded to anticipation for your greatness. I recognize that I have been an idolater of my own prayer request. I've been clutching it so tightly that I'm not open to anything you're doing because I only want to see you do what I want done. And you're saying, Lord, I'm tired of that. I want to free my will and I want to do not my will, but your will be done in my life. I see it, you're the king, not me. You care for me more than I could ever care for me. You love me more than I could ever love myself. If that's you and you said, I need somebody to pray for me because I'm tired of idolizing my own requests. Lord, your will be done in me as it is in heaven. If that's you, would you go see a member of our prayer team if you want somebody to pray with you about that? And perhaps you're a person here today, maybe you don't need prayer, you just need to push. You're the person who says, Pastor Rod, I would love to be a person who is more dutifully anticipating God's move in my life. How do I develop Simeon's kind of appetite? How do I get that kind of appetite where I can see my world through the lens of what God's work is and what, not just my work. Would you read your Bible? Sounds surprisingly simple. It's just kind of the bread and butter of the Christian faith. When you read your Bible, you grow in the gospel. And gospel growth begins to then engulf all of your life's ambitions and goals. And it doesn't throw them in the garbage, but it puts them within the grand context of what God is doing to glorify himself. Would you join us in growing in the gospel by just maybe just getting on board with the Bible reading plan that we got coming up? Read your Bible. Read it consistently, read it comprehensively. Don't just read it out of compliance. Like read it to, to seek and discover the face of God and beg the Lord, build in me, grow in me greater anticipation for what you're doing. I'm tired of living my life in the traffic jam of religion. Lord God, I want to see what you're baking in my life. I want that to be done. I want your will to be done. Would you do that with us? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you upgrade our waiting? Whatever it is that we're holding on to in our life and we're waiting for you to come through. What we're waiting for something to come through. Lord God, would you upgrade us for waiting for you to come through? And would you upgrade our waiting, oh God, to where it is a joyful, beautiful anticipation for what you have planted in our lives and what you are growing in our lives. 
And would you help us to see that, yes, you want to bless us personally, but you are doing something more ultimate and globally in our lives. Help us in that way. Lord God, deliver us from our worries and anxieties and sanctify our waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him.